partial, but she can sing. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to begin looking in verse 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, we have a Bible, should be near you. Uh, it's black cover, uh, page 1066, page 1066. As you're turning there, you know, old little town of Bethlehem is really a favorite Christmas carol at this time of year. And the song, very interestingly, was not written by a renowned musician or even poet. Philip Brooks, who lived in the mid-19th century, stood about six feet, six inches tall. He was a renowned and beloved preacher who never married. He passed away at the age of 58, which was all too soon. And while he didn't write music frequently, and nor was he a poet, the man could preach, I understand. In fact, it is said that he preached at a rate of 250 words per minute. That's about four words per second. Uh, don't drop your pen if you're taking notes. But the motivation for his writing of O Little Town of Bethlehem was a visit he made to the Holy Land. And worshiping uh, in the Church of Nativity made a strong impression upon him. Words couldn't express what he felt until three years later. As he was preparing for the Advent season in his church, plans were made for a children's musical at his church there in Philadelphia. And so he began to write the words to a song that the children would perform the Sunday before Christmas. Now, he wrote the words, but he was not a musician, but he was blessed to have a worship leader and Sunday school teacher in his church named Louis Redner. And Brooks presented to him the words and gave Redner the challenge of putting those words to music. And uh, we think sometimes as our choir, we're stressed with last-minute preparation uh, for our musical. I understand that Mr. Redner only put the words to music the morning of the presentation. Thus, we have the famous hymn today. One of the great lines in all of Christian hymnody was written by Philip Brooks in this uh, Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and it was this line, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. How true those words are. The point in history when Jesus arrived on this earth at that point, sacrifices were being made day after day, year after year, seeking God's favor. Yet there was something missing. People were looking for a Messiah. And as Karen read from Simeon, there was an excitement that was building. And that excitement found its fulfillment when Jesus arrived. He arrived the one to fulfill the law and offer the perfect sacrifice. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. This gives us some of the context of what we're looking at today. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality of itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
Therefore, as he was coming into the world, Hebrews 10 and verse 5, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he says above, you did not desire delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, the gift of Christmas. Father, how you, even though it has been so aptly prayed, happy birthday to you. Lord, this is the most unusual birthday that's celebrated around the year because it is a birthday in which the one who was born gives the best gift, doesn't receive it. But Lord, we ask that you receive our offerings of thanksgiving and obedience today in Jesus' name, amen. You know, Hebrews is a great book in the Bible and it's often overlooked. To be honest, it's a challenge to study. Really, along with Revelation, people say uh, it could be one of the most difficult books to study in the Bible because really it, it really demands an understanding of the Old Testament. There are a number of references to Israel, to the Old Covenant. And when I say Old Covenant, I mean the sacrificial system that existed during Old Testament times when the temple was in existence and the tabernacle. So you have references to the Old Covenant, the sacrifices that were made. But if we could really summarize the entire book of Hebrews, it is this. It shows that Jesus is the most excellent. There's none compared to him. He is greater than the angels, it is said in Hebrews 1, 7 through 8. He's greater than Moses in chapter 3 and verse 3. Greater than the priests in chapter 4, verse 15. Greater than the law in chapter 8 and verse 22. And here in, in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer expands upon the truth that he does not just replace the old covenant. It wasn't that he came and he replaced or removed the old covenant, but he came to fulfill it. Jesus himself said that he didn't come to destroy the law, he came to fulfill it. I want to divide our look at these verses this morning into three parts. As we look at the excellency of the gift of the Christ child. And the first, we need to see the insufficiency of the old covenant. The old covenant, again, I mean the sacrificial system that existed as we read about it in Old Testament times in the days of the temple, in the days of the tabernacle. Now, a lot of you, you've known me for a long time, some of you for a while, and there are probably a lot of things you know about me, but there are some things you may not know. And there's some things that you may be surprised I can do very well, and there are other things you may not be surprised I can't do very well. Uh, for instance, I can whistle really with the best of them. I'm not talking about that one like a coach would let out in a gymnasium, 
but I'm talking about whistling tunes. I got that from my dad. I can whistle everything. In fact, I get on Whitney's nerves. I have certain times when I whistle, and uh, I can whistle, but I can't play an instrument. I took piano. I might confine middle C, but I can't play an instrument. I can whistle. I can make a, a noise with a, a instrumental sound with, with my mouth, but I can't play anything else. I can water ski, but I can't snow ski. Uh, and, and believe that, I, I can't do that. And it took me a while to learn to water ski. I, I will humbly say I thought myself to be an athlete, but Karen is a better water skier than I am. I've never seen her do it. But the guy she grew up with said she could slalom, and that meant she could get up on one ski and ski on one ski. I can do it okay with two skis, but I, but I can't snow ski. I, I've been snow skiing once when I was in seventh grade, and you're supposed to do like this. I started going in a straight line toward the snow blowing machine, and my brother was screaming for me to hit the ground. I hit the ground, my skis went to the bottom of the hill, and it was cold. It felt about as cold as today, and I said, no moss, so I can't do that. I can do Sudoku puzzles. In fact, in my Christmas stocking, I got a Sudoku puzzle every year. I love to do them. I can't do crossword puzzles. I don't keep up with current culture. I'm, I've not learned the trick of it. I've never finished, as far as I know, a crossword puzzle uh, in my life. I can swim fine. I, I swam as, as a child. I can't dive. And uh, you say, well, Rick, you can't ski, you can't dive. You must be pretty uncoordinated. You're probably right. But what I would argue with you is if God wanted us to dive, he would have put our arms down there and our legs up here. <laughs> I remember numbers well. Uh, I can remember our phone number growing up, 352-3391. I can light out numbers. Sometimes I don't have to go to my phone if I've called you uh, you know, more than once a month, I, I probably know 547-0670. I know a lot of different numbers, all right? Uh, and so um, I, I, I can play a number of card games. I love to play Canasta. You play that with two decks. Uh, I love to play spades. When I was at Hampton, Sydney, and the basketball team would travel, we would be on the bus for two or three hours. We'd play spades. Uh, but I cannot play gin rummy. So don't ask me to do that. But, you know, the point of it is this. Each of us, we can do some things, and then by our own admission, we say, I can't do other things. The writer of Hebrews says, the old covenant, <clears throat> the law, all the laws that's, that represented the, the sacrificial system under that period of time could do some things. But that system could clearly not do other things. For instance, a hammer is good at driving nails, but it's not good at turning screws. And so what about the old covenant? What could it do? Well, the author here tells us it could remind people of the seriousness of sin. Look at what it says in, in Hebrews 10.3. But in the sacrifices, that is of the old covenant where the animals were sacrificed, there is a reminder of sin years after year, year after year. In other words, the Day of Atonement. You would have the Day of Atonement. The high priests were going to the most holy of place. But even in the daily sacrifices, there would be a reminder. And as they watched, the sad thing of seeing those animals put to death, they were reminded these animals were put to death, 
because sin is a serious thing. So the old covenant could remind people the gravity of sin. The old covenant could even suspend God's judgment by the mercy of God. I read a commentary written by Al Mohler, who's a great Southern Baptist leader, and he brought out this point in his Christ-centered um, exposition series. And he said, when the animals were brought to the priests and, uh, and year after year and at times day after day, the sacrifices were made, the people were spared God's judgment by the mercy of God. It would be much like uh, we would say with... Uh, our, our governmental leaders today in Congress, how uh, they have to come to a budget agreement and they try to extend it. I think now it's extended out to, se to September of 2023, but it's going to have to, have to be dealt with again, and then it'll be dealt with. That's similar as those sacrifices were made. The judgment was suspended, but the payment was not in full. So the old covenant, could not, it could not stop the judgment of God, but it could extend or suspend it. But what could the old covenant not do? It says here, it could not take away sin. Look at verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That word impossible is a Greek word that means it does not have the power or the ability to do it. It does not have within itself the ability to bring the forgiveness of sin. It doesn't settle the sin problem. And then he goes on and says another thing it could not do. It could not perfect the worshipers. Notice what it says at the end of verse 1. After it says, since the law, the very first verse of our text, has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifice they completely offer year after year. In other words, that word perfect means complete or bring absolution or forgiveness of sins. It could never do it. Now notice what he says in verse 2, and this is his argument. Otherwise, if it would have worked, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sin. In other words, if the animals that were sacrificed before Jesus came would bring fulfillment and completion and satisfaction, wouldn't they have stopped? Wouldn't they have said, okay, that's enough. That is the perfect animal that has been offered, and now we're right with God. But none of those animals could bring perfection. Well, why is that? Well, I think we see in verse 1, the law, which would be the old covenant, does this. It is a shadow of the good things to come. When we see a shadow, there are two things that we know. First, a shadow is pretty near the substance. If that sun is come setting from the west and, and you're a little bit to the east of me, but you would see my shadow, it would not be me but it would really point to the fact there is a substance. So in the Old Testament sacrifices, they were not the substance. Jesus is the substance, but they were showing us that there's one coming who will complete, who will fulfill, who will bring forgiveness of sin. But it's very important, the writer of Hebrews, and remember, he was talking to a lot of Jewish people who were caught up in the Old Testament sacrifices and the legalism of Judaism. 
And what he was saying here was this. Don't be mistaken. It's a shadow, but it's not the substance. So a shadow is close to the substance. It points to the fact there is a substance, but it's not the substance Jesus is. So we move on in verses 5 through 10, and we see the purpose of Jesus' incarnation, why Jesus came to the earth. Now, again, this is not a birth narrative, as we find in Matthew chapter 1 or Luke 2, those familiar narratives about the birth of Jesus and the coming to the angels and to Mary and Joseph. But notice what verse 5, it is a birth narrative in this, because it speaks of him coming into the world. Why Jesus came into the world. If the system that was before him in time on this earth had been perfect, there would have been no need, but it was not. And notice he quotes from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, and he says, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. Speaking of the Father first, it said he didn't delight in those sacrifices. Now, he's speaking specifically in the context of our heart. You can do a righteous act, but not have a righteous heart in it. You can do a kind deed, but have a wrong motive. And so what he was saying, I don't delight in just the outward acts. What I really delight in is a heart of obedience. So we see that in the Father. But we see it in reference to the Son that he delighted to do the Father's will. Jesus delighted to do the Father's will in in his spirit. Now in his body, we talk about how he was saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus was fully obedient. So he came to this earth. And he lived a life of perfect obedience. So it's very interesting, the Septuagint, the Greek translation, the Old Testament, the end of verse 5, translates that, you prepared a body for me. In other words, all of the sacrifices before that could not solve the issue, but the body of Christ, the physical body of Christ dying on the cross would do that. Simply put, Jesus came not to sacrifice bulls and goats. You didn't see him do that. He came to be the sacrifice. He came to be the sacrifice. The sacrifice that he of the order of Melchizedek offered is his own body. The the bulls and goats, they were not the substance. They were a shadow pointing to Jesus. The latter exceeded the former. And as Karen sang earlier, There were people in that day who understood it. Simeon understood it. Eight days after Jesus was born, he rejoiced, saying in what's called in Latin the nunc dimittis, you can dismiss your servant, Lord, for I've seen the salvation of the Lord. He knew that in Christ was the promised one. And that leads to our final point in verses 10 through 14, the effectiveness of Jesus' work. You know, it has been said that the number of individuals who have worked remotely has increased over four times since the COVID-19 pandemic. Before COVID-19, 6% of the workforce worked remotely. As of this year, 2022, that number has increased to 26%. More than one out of four individuals works from home. And it is said the number will be growing. 
It's estimated that 36.2 million workers will work remotely by 2025. Right now, at this very time, 16% of companies operate fully remotely. Now, God chose not to do his work remotely. He chose to come to this earth to work. Now, he could have done so, but in his sovereignty, he chose to send Jesus to this earth in person, on site, and he worked on site. And we celebrate his birth today. What those priests and those offering animals in the old covenant could not do, Jesus came to do in his own flesh and blood. The old covenant, it could remind people of the fact of the sin and the grievousness of sin. As Dr. Moeller said, it could suspend or in a sense kick down the road by the mercy of God, the judgment that would come. Sin brought consequences, but man couldn't remove it. Only the God-man, Jesus Christ, he came to be our sacrifice. You know, I like how the writer of Hebrews vividly portrays that work in verses 10 through 14. He says there, first he uses the vivid picture of the priests. He said, day after day, year after year, they strive offering and offering. No rest because their job's not done. That's what it says in verse 11. So the picture I have in my mind, every day that priest puts on the priestly garb, he gets up, he goes, he comes back home, the next day the same thing, the next day the same thing, over and over again. And he has to continue to do it because not one day accomplished the fulfillment. But then I, I like how he pictures Jesus in verse 12. He says, but this man, the God-man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. One sacrifice, his own body prepared for him in obedience to the will of the Father. When Jesus died and offered himself at Calvary, he ascended to be with the Father and he sat down. Why? Because the work was done. Two pictures day after day trying to take care of the problem and it not being fixed. One day, one time, and dying. And that's what he says in verse 10. It says that he died once for all time. Verse 12, one sacrifice for sins forever. Verse 14, for by one offering he is perfected. Jesus came at Bethlehem and he came on site in order to provide the sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. And the Father said, it is sufficient, sit down. My great-grandfather, I did not know, uh, Alfred Rice Harwood Sr., he um, basically helped to raise my um, dad. Uh, my dad's parents split when he was young, and uh, my dad's mom, who he was very close to, died of breast cancer when my dad was about 15 or 16 years old. And so my dad went to live with his grandparents his last couple of years of school. They basically uh, raised him and uh, had the privilege last night of eating with my family in the home where my great-grandfather uh, lived. And... Uh, 
Anyway, my dad would, re would remind me when we were young, when we sat at the table, I, I used to share the story, Bread Sam, and my dad would always say that at home, and I'd say, Dad, Mom's name is Barbara Ann. Why are you calling her Sam? But what happened is my great-granddad's family was so large, he was one of, his father was married in England, had 10 kids, then that wife died coming over, and, and then that family, there were like 12 kids, and so uh, he had a large family. And evidently, the bread sat by one of the children called Sam. And so that became a tradition. And that first time it was Brad Sam, and then generation after generation, they would just say, whoever was by their bread, Brad Sam. But there's one other thing that my, my dad shared about his, his grandfather, my great-grandfather, was this, that after he ate, he would say, I have eaten sufficient. Now, he didn't get it correct grammatically, Harriet. He should have said, I've eaten sufficiently because he's describing. But I wouldn't correct my great-granddad anyway. But the point is this. He sat at the table. He ate the food. And then he said, it's enough. I'm satisfied. When Jesus came to this earth, the Father said, it's sufficient. No more. There's nothing more needed. We celebrate these five candles that are here in front of me, the last of which is the Christ child. He's the climax. He's the one. He's the epitome. He's the top of everything. Hebrews says there's none compared to him. There's no one that is above him, and he has come and he died for you and for me. I wonder, do you know him today? But finally, verse 13. It's not over. These beautiful lights, if we were to turn the lights off in here, they would light part of this room. But there's coming a time when these five lights, what they represent, will give way to the lighting of the entire world when Jesus Christ comes in his second coming. And listen to verse 13. He sat down, but he's now waiting. He's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. You see, the victory is won, but the visible manifestation of it will be when he comes again. In his first coming, he came humbly as a baby, as a suffering servant to die for our sin. But don't be mistaken, he's coming again, the light of the world. And when he comes again, his enemies will be made his footstool. They'll bow, bow down to his feet. And guess what? Those who love him will also bow down. But those in the first group who bow down, they'll be driven by the force of the majesty of Jesus. But for those of us who know him, it'll be like meeting our longest loved one. We'll delight to be with him. He's Lord. He's Lord. His offering is sufficient for us. Let's pray. Father, as we celebrate your birth today, we know that you came to this earth for a distinct purpose, a body that was prepared to be sacrificed for our sin. And Lord, when you did it, you sat down. There was no longer any need for the sacrifice. Lord, yours is the perfect one. And Father, we're excited to know today that you're going to come again. Lord, if there be anyone here today who is yet to trust you, what a day to believe on the Lord Jesus. 
Christmas Day. Father, just bless each and every one as we go from this place today, as we celebrate. Let us be reminded of the wonderful gift of Christ, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.